verses uh, 113 through 120. Psalm 119, verse 113 through 120. That's hard to say. And it says, I hate those with divided loyalties, but I love your instructions. You are my refuge and my shield. Your word is my source of hope. Get out of my life, you evil-minded people, for I, have in, I intended to obey the commands of my God. Lord, sustain me as you promised that I may live. Do not let my hope be crushed. Sustain me and I will be rescued. Then I will meditate continually on your decrees. But you have rejected all who stray from your decrees. They are only fooling themselves. You skim off the wicked of the earth like scum. No wonder I love to obey your laws. I tremble in fear of you. I stand in awe of your regulations. So here we see, um, again, we're just going through Psalm 119, which talks so much about the instruction of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, which all basically mean the same thing. And uh, in obeying the Lord, there's, there's life, there's, there's great things to be had if we just learn the Lord's, uh, <laughs> learn the Lord's will. Lord, if I could talk today, learn <laughs> the Lord's will and his word, and then we obey his word, then there's uh, great things for us. Not always in this life, but there will be in the life to come. So we're going to sing some worship songs together. First, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
Souvenirs and keepsakes remind us of places and people in our lives. Like a rock from the mountain hike, a shell from a beach, the ignition key from my grandfather's 9N Ford from 1952. At the Last Supper, Jesus was sharing his final Passover meal with his disciples. The significance of this meal has become precious to us as a sacrament. You can imagine that his disciples remembered this every time they broke bread, ate it during a meal, and the wine that reminded him of his shed blood. Today, when you take a piece of bread, the cup and the unleavened bread, or maybe a toast, or a muffin, or a bagel, or a bite of a sandwich, a taco, or any food made with a type of bread. Be reminded that Jesus offered himself for us, that we can be forgiven and have a new life forever if we follow him. Father, we come before you this morning to praise you and to worship you. I pray that you bless this cup and this bread. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.
now is the time in the service for announcements. In the foyer, you will see two bins um, ready to take any empty pill bottle donations you'd like to give to Matthew 25 Ministries and any used ink cartridges. Um, these help to reduce office supplies, um, office costs here supply. I can't talk like Derek today. <laughs> Just bring them in if you got them, okay? <laughs> Um, food pantry, closed closet every Thursday, 5 to 7. We have listed some um, most frequently needed items. If you're interested in donating some of those, don't feel like you have to. But some people are like, hey, there's this is on sale, that's on sale. I'd like to just bring something in and drop it off. We'd be happy to take those donations. Um, some people that don't attend Heartland have been asking what maybe they could drop off. These are some items. There is a flyer in the foyer, this bright orange one. Um, you can take some of those and pass them out if someone's inter interested in just um, maybe helping with the pantry in that way. Refit free dance fitness class on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6.30 to 7.30. If you have any questions, you can see Kristen Nay right here. Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry is the fourth Sunday of the month. Uh, the next one is June 26th at 2 p.m. Sign up on the welcome table. Um, so this is a um, church ministry. So we're having like a we're having a church service at Mellon Ridge. Um, it's located here in Goshen, and we've had one so far. So we're going to do it once a month. Um, we have church service here, then we have lunch together, and then we head over and have church over there. And with the first one, it was just a great time for both them and us. Tithes and offerings can be given in person in the back of the sanctuary in the offering box, as well as um, giving online. Our weekly budget is listed here and ministries that you are supporting through your giving. Um, there is a financial sheet in the foyer if you would like to know what all um, expenses ministries are being given through the church. Financial Peace University class is going to be held from July 11th through September 5th on Mondays at 6.30. Uh, contact is Chris and Kristen Nay to sign up. And there is a flyer outside in the foyer also. Mother's Day, next Sunday, invite your dad. Invite someone who has stood in for this father figure person in your life. Um, invite some, a male person who has just been special to you. Um, we will have a special treat for them. Couple other things I want to announce. I don't have these papers, but the fourth Sunday, the fourth Sunday, fourth Thursday during food pantry hours, we are going to have um, some kind of hot meal served here at the church. So it is Thursday night from five to seven during the pantry time. This uh, the June 23rd pantry is going to be a cookout. So if you have someone in need, if you want to come up and just serve in that way or, you know, meet people, pray with people, see what we do, come up on June 23rd between 5 and 7. We're going to cook out hot dogs and give, give people chips. Um, last thing is if you are interested in serving behind the scenes in some way with lawn maintenance, meaning mowing, weed eating, trim trimming the trees and building maintenance, there is now uh, signups in the back. So we will not hunt you down. We would like for you to be lovingly wanting to do some of these things. So if you are interested, let us know. Thank you. So we're going to jump right in here. We're going to continue our series today. So we started last week in a series entitled Living for One Another. And in this series, we're talking about how we can become more like Jesus by living our lives for one another. And last week I said that the phrase one another is used at least 46 times in the New Testament. And those passages contain commands from God to show us how he wants us to live in our relationships with other Christians. Last week we saw that God commands his people to love one another, serve one another, and honor one another. And hopefully you put some of that stuff into practice last week. But this week we're going to look at three more things that God commands his people to do for one another. That's what we'll talk about today. Let's pray. Holy Father, the Lord Jesus said your word is truth. So as we open your word, open our understanding so that we may see the truth and fully understand the truth and give us grace to hold on to the truth and put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing God commands his people to do for one another is God commands his people to teach one another. In Colossians 3.16, Paul urges us to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach one another with all wisdom. Now, it's important to note that Paul's not talking about the teaching office in this verse. 
Everyone is not and should not be official teachers in the church. As James says in James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. James is talking about the teaching office here. Not many should become teachers in the sense of being official teachers in the church. But every one of us are commanded to teach one another in some sense. And in Colossians 3.16, Paul shows us at least two ways that we obey this command. First, we teach one another through God's word. At the beginning of Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach one another with all wisdom. So the word of Christ is the word of God. Paul's talking about the main message or the theme of the scriptures. All the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, are focused on one main subject, and it is, the, it is God's eternal kingdom. And the purpose of the scriptures is to bring us to trust that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the son of the living God, the king of God's eternal kingdom. And once we believe who Jesus is and we decide to follow him as our king, well, then the scriptures teach us how to live as citizens of that kingdom here and now by obeying Christ's commands. So we need to let the message of the scriptures dwell in us richly. And what this means is we need to allow the word of God to take up residence or to live in or to find a home in us. And we need to stay so full of the word of God that it takes over our lives, transforms us, and then spills out of us so that every word we speak to one another is filled with the wisdom of God. But to stay full of God's word, well, we've got to keep filling ourselves with God's word. We've got to read and reread, hear and keep on hearing the scriptures, all the scriptures, not just the parts that we like. So we need to study the whole of scripture to know the whole counsel of God. We need to learn, as Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So we cannot live as God intends us to live unless we spend a ton of time absorbing every word that comes out of God's mouth, every word that's been breathed out of God's mouth in the scriptures. So we need to do this not only for our own good, but for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ, so that we'll be able to impart godly wisdom to one another by teaching one another God's word. Paul also shows us another way that we obey God's command to teach one another, a second way we teach one another is we teach one another through our worship. In Colossians 3.16, Paul says we should use all wisdom to teach each other by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What is one of the easiest ways to learn something? And when we want to teach our children how to read, we start with the alphabet, right? How do we teach our children the alphabet? How do we all learn the alphabet? Well, we all learned our ABCs through that catchy little tune that we all know so well. A, B, C, D. So you all know, right? And that's burned inside your head. It's never going away. And that tune is so catchy that people began to use it to teach other things. Has anybody ever heard twinkle, twinkle? So, then you got bye, bye, black sheep. I mean, just so on and on. We only know one tune, and we just put all these different songs to it. It's all the same tune. And people remember those songs forever without even needing to think about the lyrics. So one of the best ways to teach and learn about anything is through songs. And that includes learning about the Lord and the truths of the faith. So we teach one another and we learn the faith through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, there's some debate about what Paul means by the phrase spiritual songs and I'm not going to try to solve that debate here today, so I'm going to leave that for another time. But I want us to focus on what Paul means by singing psalms and hymns. So when we talked a few weeks back about prayer, I said that God, God's people have used the book of Psalms as a prayer book for many centuries. Well, God's people have also used the psalms as a song book for many centuries. Now, if you read through the psalms, you'll notice that many of the psalms have an introduction that gives instructions to the director of music, the choir director, or the praise team leader, what we would call them, right? It, it gives direction about the tune in which the psalm should be sung. 
For example, at the beginning of Psalm 22, we read this, For the director of music, to the tune of the Doe of Dawn, a Psalm of David. So the Doe of the Dawn is the tune that God's people were to use to sing Psalm 22. They knew what it meant. We have zero clue what it means. Nobody knows what that means anymore. But I bring all this up to show you that God's people have been singing the Psalms in worship for centuries to teach one another the truths of the faith. The Psalms are so rich and full of meaning. They cover nearly every topic that you could imagine. And the Psalms teach us about God's character, about creation, about humanity, and our fall into sin. The Psalms teach us about the eternal Son of God becoming the Son of Man, who would suffer, die, and rise again to take away the sins of the world to recreate fallen humanity. The Psalms teach us the purpose of mankind, the difference between right and wrong behavior, and how to obey the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love one another. God gave his people the Psalms as a songbook so that by singing the Psalms, we would teach one another the truths of the faith and how to live out those truths and live lives that, are, bring, that bring honor to God. The God's people have always used the Psalms as a songbook to teach one another, and we should do the same. Now, I'd like to see somebody put all the Psalms to like, you know, a tune, some kind of tune. Maybe you just use the ABC tune and put all those. <laughs> no, God's people have always used the Psalms. And God's people have always taught one another through hymns as well. So the term hymns is used for a wide variety of religious songs. You can actually put the Psalms within under the blanket of hymns. But it's, it covers a wide variety of religious songs that teach truths about the Lord and the faith. And there's at least two or three times in the New Testament where you see examples of hymns. And we're going to look at one today in uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Paul writes this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, things seen and unseen, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and all things hold together in him. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that in all things he might have the highest rank. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This hymn, it teaches us some of the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And I want you to notice how much deeper this hymn is than the majority of what we sing today as a congregation. And that's not a, a jab against anybody in the congregation. It's just where we are as the church world. We've lost the depth of what this thing is really all about. See, this hymn teaches us some of the fundamentals of the Christian faith. It teaches us that God was incarnate in the person of Jesus. It teaches us Jesus is both divine and human, that all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, that Jesus existed before creation, and it's his power that holds all of creation together. This hymn also teaches us that Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church, that Jesus is the first of a new humanity to rise from the dead, and it teaches us that through the cross, God reconciled or God brought back all things into a right relationship with himself and made peace, at least potentially for people who turn to God and, and want to come back into that relationship. See, God's people have always used hymns like this to teach the fundamentals of the faith, and we should do the same. When we sing various kinds of worship songs in the church, we teach one another. And since that's true, then what we sing in our songs is extremely important. So we've got to be sure the songs we sing teach the truths of the faith. We've got to be sure that the songs we sing are true to the scriptures. Now, many new worship songs are produced every year in the, in the Christian world. Some of those songs are great. Many are not so great. And many newer songs are designed simply to stir up our emotions, to lead us into some sort of experience that makes us feel good. But how a song makes us feel should never be the test for whether we should sing it as a congregation or not. Now, as with all things in the Christian life, the test for every song we sing in the church should be, does this song teach the truth? Because that's all that matters. 
Does this song teach the truth? I don't care how it makes you feel. Truth doesn't care about our feelings, right? Truth is truth. So no matter how a song makes us feel, if it contains false teaching, false teaching about God, about salvation, about anything to do with the Lord, then it should never be a part of our worship rotation. And in fact, we should speak out against those kinds of songs because they're dangerous. They lead people astray. They lead people into false teaching. And that's not something we want, right? So we've got to be sure our worship songs are true because we teach one another through our worship. All right, so God commands his people to teach one another, and we do it through his word and through, it, through our worship. And then we're going to look at a second command God gives us. God commands his people to counsel one another. So looking again at Colossians 3.16, we see that Paul not only says that we should teach one another, he says that we should admonish one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now, the word admonish, it means to warn or to give counsel concerning someone's behavior. So the phrase admonish one another could also be translated, give counsel to one another concerning your behavior. So God's goal for all of his children is for us to be able to offer wise counsel to one another concerning what kind of behavior is good, what kind of behavior is bad, concerning the kind of behavior God wants us to live. In Romans 15, 14, Paul says to all of God's people in Rome, he said, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Now, the word instruct here is the same uh, Greek word translated admonish in Colossians 3.16. So what Paul's saying is to all of people, uh, God's people in Rome, I'm convinced that you are competent to counsel one another. So that's God's goal for all of us, that we be filled with God's goodness, filled with the knowledge of God, or filled with uh, knowledge about the things of God, so that we are competent to counsel one another. And two ways we counsel one another are the same two ways we teach one another. We counsel one another through God's word and through our worship. Now, every one of God's people can learn to be wise counselors if we'll learn to direct one another to God's word. I don't have to be a star counselor. You don't have to be a star counselor. We don't need to go through training. What we need to do is point each other back to the word of God. So if someone comes up to us and asks us for advice about a certain behavior, well, we should never give them our opinion. We should ask them this question. What does God's word say about that behavior? It's a very simple question. What does God's word say about that behavior? And what you're going to find in God's word is most of the time, it's very straightforward what God wants. He's not trying to trick anybody. He's not putting stuff here to say, well, I, I really, I wrote this down and I had this written. I don't really mean any of this. What do you mean? He means what he says. He writes it that way and we should read it that way. So when someone asks our opinion, we say, I can't give you an opinion. I can give you what God's word says about it. And if the person who asks us for advice doesn't know what God's word says, well, then we can show them. And if we don't know what God's word says, well, then we can study and find out. But we should never, ever, ever give someone our opinion about what we think God would think about a subject. We should never give advice based on what we think God's word says about something. And there's way too much of that that goes on in the modern church. People tell others that God says this or that about certain behaviors, but they do so without a shred of scriptural evidence to back up their claims. But listen to this, and this is not too strong to say what I'm getting ready to say. Advice about our behavior that's not biblical, advice about our behavior that's not based on Scripture, is worse than worthless. It's actually dangerous, right? Because, again, you can lead people astray. If I tell you that you can do something and God said, said the opposite, then we're both in trouble on Judgment Day, right? So we always want any advice or any counsel that we give one another to be based on God's Word. Now, will people always like the counsel that you give them based on God's word? Absolutely not. You know, I found that people are often offended when I tell them what God's word says about certain behaviors that they've asked me about. So I'll tell all you, if you don't want to know what the Bible says about it, don't ask me about it. But, but if we see something in God's word that, that doesn't match our, our opinion about it, should we then change God's word to give advice to people that they want to hear? And does that help anybody? If I give you advice on something that's, that's totally false, what, how does that help you? Has it helped anybody? Does it? 
See, I will not give you false advice on something or change God's word if I love the truth and I love you, right? Truth makes us want to tell the truth to people. Uh, Paul said something about, he said, love uh, rejoices in the truth is what he said. So if we love one another, we'll rejoice in the truth. We want to know what the truth is. So all our advice should be based on what God's word says. We should never try to change his word to match, you know, what people want to hear. So we need to speak the truth of God's word to one another in love and let God handle the rest. But to speak the truth, well, we got to know the truth. So again, we got to study God's word so that we can rightly handle the truth. So that we can do, God, so that we can do God's words ourselves. And so we can counsel one another through God's word. And as with teaching one another, Paul says we should also counsel one another through our worship. So again, it's so important that the psalms, the hymns, the spiritual songs we sing in the church teach the truth. They offer wise counsel to the people who hear. Every song we sing must be scriptural. So we're assured that our worship gives wise counsel to everyone who hears it. God's people are commanded to counsel one another through God's word and our worship. And that brings us to the third and final one another that we're going to talk about today. God commands his people to encourage one another. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Paul tells the Thessalonians to encourage one another with these words. Now, in the context of this verse, Paul's talking about the truths of the resurrection and the second coming of Christ. Paul says, knowing those truths should encourage us when our loved ones leave this earth. We can be encouraged that those who die in Christ are with Christ now, and that when we go to see our departed loved ones, or or our departed loved ones are safe now, when we go to meet the Lord, they're going to be there waiting for us. We're all going to see our, our, uh, our loved ones again who have died in Christ. That's what Paul is really talking about here. We should encourage one another with those words. But I want you to notice a very important phrase that Paul uses in 1 Thessalonians 4.15. Paul says this. He said, he said, we tell you this by the word of the Lord. So Paul did not encourage God's people with his own words. Paul did not come up with some clever cliche to try to help people who were hurting and discouraged. There's far too much of that in the church, too. Let's give them a little catchphrase or some cliche and throw it at them, and somehow it's going to help. But instead, when Paul says, encourage one another with these words, he's urging them and us to encourage one another with the word of the Lord. Now, in this dark world, Jesus said, we all will have trouble. There's going to be many opportunities for all of us to become discouraged. When we're going through tough times, we need encouragement. When we, when we or our loved ones are sick, we need encouragement. When we feel like giving in to temptation, we need encouragement. When we feel like giving up and just throwing in a towel and stop fighting this fight of the faith, we need encouragement. And in every one of those situations, we can find encouragement from the word of the Lord, right? As Paul tells us in Romans 15, 4, he said, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The scriptures can provide encouragement and hope for us, even in the most discouraging times of our lives. Because the scriptures teach us in all things at all times to put our hope in the God of hope. The scriptures teach us that no matter what troubles we face in this world, we can always find hope in the Lord Jesus. You know, I've talked to a lot of hopeless people outside the church. And to me, it's understandable when people who don't know God are hopeless. I mean, their only hope is in this life, the life that they have in this world. And for many people, life in this world is simply dreadful. It's not a good time. So I can see why people like that would be hopeless. But I've also talked to a lot of hopeless people inside the church. People who say they're following Christ, but just don't seem to have any hope at all. And I found that both of those groups of people have something in common. Neither one of them know the scriptures. See, when I've asked hopeless people in the church, if they consistently read the scriptures every day without fail, if they treat their spiritual needs for the scriptures like they would treat their body's need for food, well, their answer is always no. They don't soak themselves in the scriptures. They're not allowing the encouragement the scriptures provide to give them hope. 
You know, I'm always talking about this because I think that we as uh, a people, we don't understand the power. We don't understand the grace that God gives us through the scriptures. I know we talk a lot about the scriptures, right? But how many of us really devote the kind of time that we should to actually learning, reading, absorbing, becoming what the scriptures say we can become? So we all need to do whatever it takes to spend several hours a week and maybe even several hours a day pouring God's word into us in as many ways as possible. Because when we know the hope the scriptures provide, and when we know the God of hope the scriptures proclaim, then we will always have hope. Yet the discouragement, the discouragements and the disappointments, they will still come. That comes to all of us in this fallen world. But if we stay submerged in the scriptures, those discouragements and disappointments will never lead us to despair. We'll never become hopeless. We'll be encouraged to endure because we know that the God of hope, the God who reverses our hopeless condition is for us. He's with us. You know, the scriptures are the only book that tell humanity the story about the God who has done something about humanity's hopelessness. You hear a lot of people today, they talk about how hopeless things are, but they have no, no way to solve it because everybody looks at it from a human standpoint. But we know the story in the scriptures. It's a story that we're very familiar with. But this is a story that we, we need to be reminded of again and again. This story reminds us where our hope is and the rest of humanity's hope is found. It's the story of redemption. The story of the divine son of God becoming human, becoming like us so that we could become like him. Becoming human so he could suffer and die for humanity and rise again from the grave. And through his suffering, death, and resurrection, Jesus became the only way to save a hopeless humanity, to save us from sin, to save us from Satan, to save us from death. And those are the real enemies that we're all dealing with. Jesus came to recreate humanity in God's image and make us like God through our union with and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. For all who will trust and obey King Jesus, there is hope of a gleaming and glorious future. So we need to keep bringing one another back to the message of salvation through Christ over and over. We need to keep encouraging one another with the scriptures. Keep reminding one another that although wickedness prevails in the world right now, eventually good will win, God will win, and those of us who trust and obey King Jesus, we will win. Not in this world in its current state, but in the world to come. Through Christ Jesus, we will win. We need to keep encouraging one another to keep going, to stay on the narrow path, to keep fighting the good fight of the faith. As Paul says in Hebrews three twelve through 14, we need to watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Notice Paul did not say, encourage one another on Sunday. Right? Daily. Daily. And then he goes on to say, for we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality we had at the beginning or at the start. In Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, Paul says, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good deeds, not neglecting to, to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. And this is probably talking about Sunday right here. But encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we need to encourage one another to keep living in the faith. Encourage one another every single day. I told you last week, get out your, uh, the, the, what is that thing called? The uh, directory. Get your directory out. Call somebody and talk to them. You don't have to just talk to them at church. Call them on the phone and just ask them how they're doing. Ask them how their week is. Encourage them in some way in the Lord. Because this world is out here trying to eat people and chew them up and spit them out, right? So you need more than just one contact with your brothers and sisters a week. You've got to have more than that. It's got to be every day. Encourage one another to avoid sin, to love others, to do good works for all people. Encourage one another to keep on meeting together. Every one of us needs to make it our aim to obey these clear commands to encourage one another. 
And two of the ways we encourage one another are the same two ways we teach and counsel one another. We encourage one another through God's word and through our worship. So going back to the scenario where you call somebody on the phone, can you call them up and say, hey, look, there's a scripture in the, in the, in the, in the Bible I want, you to, I want you to hear this. It's encouraging. It's encouraging to me. Let me read it to you. We could all do that, right? I know you all do that on Facebook. How about you do it in face-to-face? How about some of that? That's what we need. We need to be around each other and encouraging one another with the word. But what I find, though, so many times when we get together as Christians, we talk about everything in the world except the Lord. Why is that? I know why. It's because we're afraid we're going to get in an argument about something the scriptures say. That's what it is. And the devil has put that into our minds, right? We don't need to argue about the scriptures. Let's tell each other, hey, this is what the Lord says here. This is a great thing. That's a great thing. Just, just encourage one another in the Lord and help each other. So this means we need to gather together as a church or gathering together as a church, having relationships with other followers of Christ. This must be a top priority for us. It's got to be at the very top of our list because in our relationships with one another, we get encouragement from one another and we give encouragement to one another. We all need other Christians to encourage us to live for one another. So we cannot live the Christian life alone. I've said it a thousand times. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. People are out here trying to do it all the time, but eventually they get, you know, the devil sees them out there by themselves and they get picked off one way or another. So they either get deceived or they just walk away from the thing altogether. That's not the way the Lord designed it. He designed this whole thing for us to be a part of a body, a part of a community. We cannot keep God's commands to love one another, serve one another, honor one another, teach, counsel, or encourage one another. We can't do any of those things or obey any, uh, obey any of the other one another's if we try to serve Christ on our own. So we got to make it our habit to fellowship with one another so we can obey God's command to encourage one another. So as we close, we've heard from God's word today that God commands his people to teach one another, counsel one another, and encourage one another. And two ways we teach, counsel, and encourage one another are through God's word and through our worship. So let's not be hearers of the word only. Let's learn to practice what we've heard today. What we heard today, what we heard last week, what we always hear from God's word. Let's ask God for his grace to enable us to do these things and to do all the commandments that he gives us. And if we'll do that, then the Lord will give us grace to walk in the way he wants us to walk and we'll become a shining light to the rest of the world as we live for one another and people see Christ in us. All right, let's all stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us into fellowship with one another so that through our fellowship with your body, through the church, we can have fellowship with you. Lord, help us to teach, counsel, and encourage one another in ways that are worthy of you. Give us grace to obey all your commands. And let us do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you, and then they're going to sing the song. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
so we 